0: this is the in self-defense podcast with don west and sean vincent exploring high-profile self-defense cases and identifying the lessons learned for concealed carriers so here's a crazy story imagine a mother her grown adult son coming home near midnight from some event in houston texas Their father of the family had preceded them just moments before in his Mercedes-Benz only to be ambushed by three black-clad intruders, invaders, that were hiding in the bushes. Perhaps they don't realize that there are two teenage daughters inside the house. Uh, When the son shows up, he's a concealed carrier and a shootout happens. Maybe a shootout. We don't know all the details, but neighbors report a total of 11 shots being fired, five shots, a break, five shots, another one. One of the intruders shot in the head, killed two of the intruders, steal the vehicle that the mother and the adult son were in and flee. There's a grand jury investigation. Much of this is shrouded in mystery. We don't have all the details, but it's a crazy story. We had to talk about it i'm sean vincent thanks for listening in to the podcast today tatiana whitlock one of our favorite guests she's a firearms instructor self-defense expert she brought this case to our attention so she's going to be on the podcast today and explore it with us also our friend steve moses he's a ccw safe contributor also a well-regarded firearms instructor and as always don west criminal defense attorney, national trial counsel for CCW safe. We're all going to take a look at the ramifications of the actions of this, uh, son who armed himself and put himself in danger to save his teenage sisters inside this home during this crazy, crazy, uh, event. It's going to bring up, even though we don't know a lot of, of the specific details uh, about the shooting, it does, raise a lot of great points for conversation. And and we're gonna discuss, is it ever okay if you come home to an intruder to enter the house and engage that intruder that's leaving a place of safety to put yourself in a use of force scenario? Uh, And if it ever is, and, and we're gonna say that when your loved ones are at risk, it is okay, then you have to understand the risks Physically involved with charging into what might become a gunfight, and uh, hopefully, if you ever consider a situation like this, you get the training required for a very unique tactical situation. Do you ever chase an intruder from your home? Is risking a shootout the best result? Is there another way to resolve the situations? It's a complex self defense situation with the legal. Justification changing moment by moment. And I love Tatiana. She really looks at these things as self-defense problems and encourages armed defenders and carriers in these situations to find a way to get all the information they can to make good, informed self-defense decisions. So again, thanks for listening into the podcast today. Here is my conversation with Tatiana Whitlock and the rest of the crew. Well, uh, Tatiana, you've brought another really interesting case to us and we're kind of building on a theme here of uh, defenders, armed defenders intervening in a crime that is ongoing. Where they themselves don't have an imminent threat of great bodily injury or death, but they have concern for the health, safety, and lives of others, and they uh, there are definitely there's definitely a felony underway that they have a legal right. Uh, under a lot of laws to step in and use deadly force to prevent that felony from happening. And and this is a case out of Houston. Uh, I think by the fact that we don't know really who any of the folks' names are means that they were all, in the end, considered uh, victims of this crime. But we've got this 20-year-old son who is coming home near midnight, to their home in houston uh the father of this family had come home just shortly before and was surprised to find that there were three men clad in black armed waiting for him behind the bushes they ambushed him as they arrived home uh, one of their targets may have been the mercedes-benz that he was driving and i believe they end up inside there's two daughters a 15 year old and a 20 year old who hit the panic alarm and hide themselves in a closet somehow during the chaos that happens at least one of the armed intruders finds the girls in the closet starts ushering them out and then this uh, son who shows up he's armed uh, he goes in to intercede. We don't know a lot of the details about what happens. One of the reports I read suggests that although at least one of the suspects was armed, the, the intruders never fired. A neighbor accounts for hearing uh, five shots, a pause, and then five other shots. The newspaper reported a, a gun battle. Uh, so we're not sure exactly which is accurate, but in the end, uh, one of the intruders was struck and he died. The other two jumped into a minivan that the, I imagine the one that the son showed up with the mother and escaped with that. Uh, I'll throw on top of this, Don, that I read on a number of occasions that a grand jury was impaneled to look at what I suspect was the shooting since uh the one suspect died and the other two were uh unknown and not captured so Mm -hmm. um so here's a here's one of the things that stands out to me at at first uh is that this is a a home invasion case if you're in your home and you're an armed defender and people break in uh, the law gives you with the castle doctrine the right to presume that they're there to do you harm and the use of deadly force in that instance is is pretty well assumed and and no one's gonna really you know pick apart a choice to, to use of firearm there we have encountered some cases where a, a homeowner arrives home to find that there's a crime going on inside. And if there's nobody there, uh, you know, Tatiana, you tell me how this would go with your students. We don't want people rushing into an empty house to confront what might be an armed intruder, even if it is their house. Is, is that fair to say?
1: Oh, my gosh, do not go in the house. Have we not seen those horror movies? You can hear the music coming in the background. And <laughs> what does Becky do? She walks into the basement. You know, of course, she's terrified, but she goes into the basement where the axe murderer is. And the, you know, re, re. So please don't do that. There's no reason to go into that property. And that's happened to me many years ago. I had a brand-new baby. I'd come back from a long day of work picking the baby up from daycare, pulled into my driveway, got out of my car to open the minivan door, and glanced at my back door, up the stairs to the kitchen, and the door was wide open and the screen door was blowing in the breeze. And I stood there and it hit me. um, I'm the only car here. I wasn't expecting my husband home for at least another four hours. And this isn't good. You stand there in a state of paralysis and... No no cell in my being wanted to go in the house. <laughs> I was terrified of what might be in the house. And this is well before I got into firearms or any of this material. I got back in the car. I drove all the way down the street where I could still kind of see my house, and I called my husband, and, he, you know, we got the family involved, and, you know, by the time we got there, it was known that he just didn't close the door all the way on the way out. However, I was, thank God I had the right instincts because you don't know what you're walking into And why on earth would you subject yourself to a single or multiple problems on the inside that may be more armed and more skilled and more dangerous than you? There's no reason to throw yourself into that fray.
0: Yeah, Steve, I just wrote an article based upon, uh, some things that you said about similar situations, which is if it's not safe to go there without a gun, it's not safe to go there with a gun. Right. And Tatiana mentioned that this was before she became uh, a trainer in self-defense and and an expert in firearms. But, you know, even if it's your own home and you are armed, you're not the danger is still there. You just have what you told me was like an extra tool to deal with that. But the better choice is to not have to resort to that tool in the first place
2: not unless there's just some re- reason you absolutely have to go in there. And typically that's going to be to uh, protect another family member.
0: Sure. And Tatiana, let's, let's, since C brings up another reason, and that's what we see in this case, uh, if if your kids are in that house, you know that somebody else is in that house and in danger, how does that change your calculus?
1: Oh, it absolutely changes your motivation. And how do you gauge what you walk in? in with as a tool and walk into and how do you choose to make entry into that space, time of day. I mean, all of the factors that, you know, making entry into an unknown environment with any kind of self-defense tool has its risks. And do you need to make sure you have proper training to do that? Because now we're discussing movement in structures and that is not the equivalent to static shooting at a range from a bench at a paper target set at X yards. So your level of preparation, you may have the will to walk into that environment, but you really need to pursue the type of education that will give you the skill sets to do so safely and make good choices.
0: Right, and and you you open up the the risk that if you don't know who's in there, uh, accidentally shooting the very people that you're trying to save, I can imagine is a, a threat going on there.
1: Absolutely, and when does the gun come into play? Does it come into play? You know, is our illumination tools part of your strategy? If you can't see it, you can't assess it. Don't make irrational or reactive decisions, especially if you think you're going to be deploying a firearm what could. Make sure that you have the tools and the training to identify, decide, and then act.
0: Steve, you've told our listeners before that you once served on uh, the special teams designed to serve yeah, high-risk warrants, uh, enter into homes that you weren't familiar necessarily with the floor plan for people that you believed had a motivation to be armed and dangerous tatiana talked about a special set of skills required to um, have a dynamic encroachment even if it's your own home if you don't know who's in it there's a lot of unknowns there tell me a little bit about those skill sets and and why that's probably not part of the ordinary self-defense toolkit.
2: You know, you just need need to understand what's the difference between concealment and cover. Uh, Cover will stop incoming bullet rounds, whereas concealment will not. So sheetrock wall is definitely concealment, not cover, whereas a brick or cement wall uh, probably would be considered to be there. You need to understand that there's actually very little cover within a home. Uh, Once you're inside the house, Uh, most everything can be perforated rather easily it's mostly sheetrock walls Uh, the other thing is is that you have to come through a specific entrance if you're entering into a room that's the only way you can get into that room you can't come through the wall whereas the other person or persons could be anywhere in that room so basically I started out with you know team training Uh, you start out with SWAT school did various high-risk entry and uh, hostage rescue courses, and I went in with a team that was usually six to eight men, and so we specifically trained for that. Uh, we used surprise, we used speed. Uh, we got in there, we covered corners very quickly. We did it very, you know, in in a very organized fashion. Now, when you go to do that yourself. And I didn't take my first Craig Douglas Arm Movement structures course until after I had been on the team for a while. It becomes a whole different world because you no longer have eyes in the back of your head. You no longer have the ability to come in there and, let's say, cover two hard corners at one time, which is a hard corner is going to be a corner that's on the same side of the doorway, which means in order to actually see what's in that corner, you have to get part of your body in there and it becomes a completely different thing a lot of the stuff that we did was force on force which meant that we would go in there we would have you know protective equipment we'd be using you know either sim munitions pistols which shoot a little paint projectile or airsoft uh, pistols which shoot a little plastic projectile that's air-powered and you would actually get into engagements with persons that were hiding there that had an incentive to shoot you before you shot them And all of a sudden, you just really understood that it has to be the most dire of circumstances to, you know, be a motivation to go in there and do that. And there's only a few circumstances in which I would do that. And that's going to be, you know, to uh, protect one of my loved ones.
0: You know, Tatiana, once upon a time uh, on another podcast, you told us that Uh, just putting a firearm in your hand doesn't necessarily bring out your inner John Wick. Uh, uh, You, you inspired me to actually watch the film, which I hadn't seen. And now John Wick's the kind of guy who apparently can walk into just about anywhere and make very uh, close quarter headshots over and over again. Um, it, It occurred to me that there's, there's a difference between having the tool and having the training for certain circumstances and maybe as armed defenders, we need part of the, our training needs to be to really look at a situation and assess it and and ask ourselves do we have the tool to address this threat and do we have the training to do it safely because if you don't have the training to do it safely there's a, a really good chance that you could make things worse is that a fair assessment?
1: Absolutely. And in in this case that we're studying now, a total of 11 shots are reported to have been fired. One struck the attacker or one of the home invaders. Where did the other ones go? Where did those land? And we're talking about a a family home that is in a neighborhood. There were neighbors that were auditory witnesses. One of them was taking notes of the number of gunshots he showed in one of the reports that we have from online, from the local TV stations, his notepad where he was keeping notes as it was yeah. taking place, you know, people are, you're in a community that's witnessing either auditory or visual what's going on, and then that's going to be used uh, in recording the documented evidence of what took place. So where did those other rounds go? Where did they land? Uh, what were the consequences thereof? I think we we're very, very lucky and fortunate in this case that no one else, was injured and no property was you know seriously destroyed or that perhaps would have been part of the story
0: aside from charging in with his pistol and uh going john wick on these guys tatiana what with with uh his sisters in the house and and perhaps knowing that his dad was uh, being uh coerced to action at gunpoint What's an alternative way to address that situation?
1: You know, the, from the reports that we have, the son and the mother, who also had another one of the younger children, arrived home in two separate vehicles. The We don't really know what the son saw when he approached and got out of his own vehicle and approached the house. Uh, some reports say he went into the house. Upon going into the house, he retrieved a firearm. It's unsure if that's what actually happened or if he retrieved it off his person. I haven't seen any conclusive statements to that effect in our research for this. One way or the other, he retrieved a firearm and then decided to participate. And if you have a number of individuals in the household that are already in distress, you had a father who had been pistol whipped and two very distraught siblings um, and three attackers. You as the sole defender here are outnumbered. And the question for this is at what point did he choose to, um, to engage them with that firearm? And we just don't have the facts associated with that. We don't know when he chose to bring the gun into play. But if you were to put yourself into his shoes and you were to walk in and three of your family members are you know, being held by three attackers, what would, what would you be compelled to do? And did you know that that was happening when you walked into the house? And that's the big question mark. Did he know what he was walking into? Or did he discover it uh, from the outside coming in? We, I don't know that I heard the fact in there that I haven't been able to find that one little tidbit. No. So your response time, your choices are radically different again, based on what you know or don't know walking in.
0: Steve, from, from someone with your tactical experience, did this guy get lucky?
2: Uh, Yes, I believe so. I mean, the circumstances, I mean, some of what was reported almost seemed contradictory. I'm not really sure what indeed happened. Uh, It does sound like that there was a gunfight outside of the home. Uh, I understand that two of the uh, home invaders actually jumped on the hood of the car in which this uh, young man's mother and sister were situated. The fact that uh, he fired that many rounds and there was one uh, apparent hit, and that was a headshot, makes me think that perhaps uh, accuracy was not the the <laughs> was not in play that day. Which means uh, there's there's ten hits somewhere. There, there people call them misses, and they're like, oh no, those are those are unintended hits. So uh, I believe that he was. Uh, he was very fortunate. Uh, I have a lot of sympathy uh, for that particular person. I can understand the tr- the stress that uh, he was under, and the fact that he even went ahead and took an action like that. I mean, I, I you know I think that was that was that was a that was a brave thing to do. Is there perhaps a better way in which that could have been played uh, without knowing kind of all the circumstances? I really don't know. I just have no idea what was going on were the sisters screaming at the time when he came out and he heard i just i just don't know
0: yeah and to and all the listeners who might be uh rolling their eyes right now we joke about this every once in a while how we do our our monday morning quarterbacking or we're second guessing defenders and and we're looking at a a good result here i mean in the end nobody in this family was uh terribly hurt and the the danger was ended and and this kid did it and like you said it took a lot of courage to do it uh there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong here so when we pick this apart uh it's not necessarily a uh negative criticism it's it's a constructive criticism looking for lessons for what would happen if this happened uh, to us as concealed carriers, and, and we all come to it with a different set of skills and tools and experiences to go by. Um, and and I would trust you, Steve, to charge in to uh, save my family with, with your skills much better than I would trust myself. Um, so 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 I just wanted to put that caveat in there for our listeners that we're we're looking for lessons learned here. Uh, from from what turned out to be a a positive outcome for this family but but don i want to ask you about this one interesting tidbit that showed up in a bunch of these articles that the um it looks like the the district attorney out there impaneled a grand jury to look at this shooting to determine whether it was something that they would prosecute and uh you know that's a that's a prosecutor that would have the discretion to just decline to charge it you know in the case of like Zach Peters who shot home invaders who broke into his house or we talked about uh, Melinda Herman another case Tatiana brought to us where a guy chased the woman her two kids into the crawl space in their attic essentially uh, that prosecutor hailed her as a hero we don't we don't see that here there's no there's nobody except for concealednation.org, uh, necessarily called this son a hero, mm-hmm. and the prosecutor and mm-hmm. paneled a grand jury. And considering the fact that we have a lot of conflicting data that was in the press, we might not be able to depend on any of it. What does just the fact that a, a grand jury was impaneled tell you about what might have gone on here?
3: I don't think it tells us anything definitive. It raises a couple of questions, and... You know, it it could mean several different things, uh, including the practice where this took place. I can tell you, uh, having had personal connection with a lethal self-defense shooting in the Houston area in Texas, where by all accounts it was justified from the beginning, the individual was not arrested, he... uh, Surrendered his gun, but nothing else. He was detained for a couple of hours by law enforcement when they got there and then released to go back home. And when I spoke with his counsel in more detail about when this thing would finally be over, what the timeline was, he said, Yeah, they're going to convene a grand jury. And he said it almost as a matter of fact that in these cases if it's a lethal shooting of some sort there will be a grand jury impaneled if for no other reason than to clear the shooter. I don't know if that's standard practice in Texas. I I hope to find out by learning more about it but if that's the case if that's the practice within the state or certainly within the Houston area the fact that they convened a grand jury in this case could mean nothing more than that's how they wrap it up present this to the grand jury, and then uh, have a no-true bill filed. There's some confusion, though, or at least I think reasons to look a little further. If, in fact, there were all those shots being fired, they're going to want to know who fired them. One of the reports said it doesn't. they don't think any of the suspects fired shots. If that's the case, that means that the home defender, the, the son, fired... Five plus five plus one, so that's 11. So they're going to want to get to the bottom of that, I suspect. And then something occurred to me, separate and apart from all of that, and I don't know if by now they've identified the suspects or how they might do this in that jurisdiction, but I wonder if they could convene a grand jury and actually return indictments against the other uh, home invaders for felony murder. We've seen that before, where individuals mm. were charged with felony murder when one of their cohorts was shot and killed by some by the home uh, the homeowner or even a, a police officer.
0: Sure, so, the Zach Peters case: the yeah. driver who was outside, who never broke into the house, was charged mm-hmm. with felony murder for the justified shooting of her friends inside.
3: And I don't know how they would do that since they don't, if they didn't have identified suspects to indict, but they could convene a grand jury and do a lot of that work and perhaps suspend that until they're able to finally identify the other side. So a lot of it, and I apologize, is just speculation we just on my know, part, but yeah. I think it could be any, any, or, or parts of, of all of that. Uh, well, as you Pointed out, Sean, absolutely. If you are defending others and yourself against home invaders, you are presumed to be in fear for your life, and your use of deadly forces is presumed to be lawful. I have to tell you, though, when I read the limited facts that I did read in this case, it caused me to wonder about a couple of things. I don't think, regardless of what those turn out to be, that it would change the legal analysis but don't you think it was a a bit odd that the that the father was ambushed as he was coming into the house it was just before midnight the two daughters were already in the house and yet these intruders were hiding in the bushes and uh, accosted him as he came in and then shortly thereafter the rest of the family came home it's almost as if they were waiting for him and i wonder why if they were simply wanted to get into the house to steal stuff they certainly could have gone in and i would have thought they would have gone in when just the other two daughters were there it makes me wonder were they waiting for him because he had the knowledge of where within the house what they were looking for might be because there was evidence that the house was ransacked i just you know i guess i'm curious to know about those kinds of things. And as I said, it may not make any difference at all. This just struck me the way it was described, which we don't know if it's in fact accurate, but the way it was described struck me. as was just
0: a little bit odd the way this thing played out. As if there's, there's a lot more going on than what we know, and it's suspicious. It's John, uh,
2: something that I recall uh, uh, reading was one, uh, they did attempt to steal that mercedes Yes, and the um, the other thing is is I believe at least one of those reports said that uh, the 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 party that was shot and killed was shot while running, and so I don't know if perhaps you know there was something about the location in which he was shot uh, or the angle or something else that might have caused them to uh, go ahead and choose to bring that before grand jury.
0: Yeah, and so Tatiana, let me bring it around to you again here. If so, when we talked about the uh, the California kidnapping case and the the uh, third party that intervened to stop the kidnapping and then was maybe holding the kidnapper at gunpoint, who then ran away and was captured later, it, we talked about how quickly things can go from being a justified armed defender using deadly force or to threat a deadly force to stop a uh, 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 harm being done to someone else or to prevent a forcible felony. But then how quickly those situations can change. And, and there's, I, I think there's one thing using deadly force to force someone out of your house, but then if you follow them out of the house, are the circumstances changing is your justification changing from your point of view
1: i would have to argue that yes the things are changing at what point are you no longer in jeopardy for serious bodily injury or death and at which point are you in turn escalating things now we do not know that the other two attackers in this scenario were not themselves armed. They just didn't get to fire. We don't know if they had weaponry because we don't know who they are. And of course none of this is caught on candid camera. The other element in play here is the stand your ground and castle doctrine laws of the state of Texas and which are different than other states. And so we have to appreciate the fact that, you know, on your property versus dwelling versus premises, those two things come into play, and a lot of the Texas students that I teach often want to feel emboldened to pursue someone outside of their, the physical space of their house, to which my main state of main brain goes, please don't, because it's the paint in, not property line, uh, where I live, and thus if they're on the outside, they can do whatever they want. And to Steve's point in the previous conversation we had about the kidnapping, let them go let them go now in this one again the timeline of events is a little bit we've got shoddy facts but it seems that it's whatever the encounter was in the house that that encounter between the attacker and the armed son turned in from changed from an inside conversation to an outside the house conversation where the three attackers did try to steal the Mercedes two of which uh, two of these two fellows jumped on the mother's hood. We, it, that sounds so theatrical as they fled away that they jumped on the hood of her car. Now, she did pull out of the driveway and leave the premises where she was able to make calls to the police that so were told and get help on the way. And then, of course, the rest of the accounts are from the neighbors and the volley of gunfire that ensued. So did the son have to fire I mean, I don't know, was he being threatened with a firearm? We, we just don't know what compelled him to make that decision. However, if those attackers were unarmed and in the action of fleeing or even trying to steal a car, I would argue, from my perspective, if they're not threatening you with a firearm in return, let them take the car and let them go. Everything is replaceable except human life, including yours, by the way.
0: Steve. Your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I absolutely agree. I, I I can't improve on anything she said. That's why I was so excited about her being on this uh, website. Uh, she really has an articulate way that she goes about addressing these situations, and I, there's just nothing I can add there.
0: You know, and and I think, Tatiana, some of what I heard you say there is in, in different words. Steve, who is the, the, the your friend from... Uh, Saint or from missouri that you had on the show with us he's a if, law enforcement uh trainer uh you talk about chuck haggard chuck haggard yeah chuck haggard was great okay and he's asked, actually he, kansas i believe kansas there you go kansas yeah um mm-hmm. uh so so i had asked tatiana i had asked chuck what you know the goal of self-defense was and he said it's it's to break contact and I thought that was a great way of looking at things because if we're looking at a self-defense scenario as dynamic, like you were talking about, how w- w- the actions of each party change the circumstances, changes the threat level, changes what the justification might be, um, that, that once contact's broken and the threat is not there, would you say you've won when it comes to having a solution to that problem? Absolutely. Yeah. I got yes. 100%. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm on the, the legendary Chuck Haggard, legendary lawman Chuck Haggard bandwagon there 100%. Um, my goal is not to prove what I know. It's not to put on an ex, an extended, prolonged martial arts engagement. You know, <laughs> it's again, camera worthy. It's to get home whole, uh, eliminate, dangerous things from my space and my life in the most expedient way possible. I do not want a long experience as part of my life story, because the longer those encounters go on, the more danger and peril you put yourself and others in. So yes, you've got nothing to prove to anyone go home whole break contact ASAP. That is the mission.
0: And it seems to me that sometimes within a split second, your job as a concealed carrier is to go from a defender to a witness
1: a documenter of facts absolutely be the communicator on your behalf document as much as you possibly can and that's the equivalent of being a witness Um, if you're actively engaged in documenting facts and communicating with first responders you're helping create a solution to a problem if you're standing around watching it and live streaming it to social media you are not a citizen journalist and that's not necessarily helping so yes get help there the fastest way possible again to break contact so that the professionals can take it take up the ball and roll with it
0: john you know it seems to me that a part of this confrontation it, it sort of started outside the house, went in the house and came back outside the house from a, a legal perspective, can you see if this ended up in a court of law, uh, looking at three or more different engagements there that, 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 that one set of scenarios legally applies to what happens inside. And then when things spill outside, you may have a, a, an entirely different framework in a whole different way to assess the justification of any use of force.
3: Well, I think so. We've had cases where there was a clear break between what happened inside and then what happened outside. A case involving the former police chief for a small town in the northeast, I think it was. In New
1: Hampshire, yeah.
3: Yeah, in New Hampshire, where they chased the intruder out of the house, and then I think across the street, and had a an engagement there that was distinct and separate, separated by both time and distance from what had happened inside the house and they chased him. I don't have a clear sense of what happened here. It seems like to me that what happened inside simply carried on outside as if it were one continuous event and it all was on the property of the homeowner, There was at least one armed intruder, the one who was shot. There's some confusion as to how many shots were fired by whom. Your point, though, is if there is a clear break and the people are fleeing, so there's no longer that risk of danger and and harm to you, and they're trying to just get out of there because their plans were foiled and now they're trying to get away, and you re-engage them outside to stop them from leaving. We've talked about that before. Or, as Steve suggested, maybe in this case someone was shot from the back as if they were shot while they were fleeing. Then you have some suggestion that there were two discrete events here, And if you have those two discrete events where you are chasing the person and shooting at them as they're trying to get away, you have much higher risk of legal jeopardy, even if it's on your property, if it's clear that we have the end of one and uh, the beginning of another. I just don't know what happened here. The whole thing seems just crazy and wild. And as Tatiana pointed out, these guys jumping on the hood of one of the cars, trying to steal a Mercedes that they couldn't apparently manage but then stealing a minivan all while there are shots being fired this this i I don't know where this was exactly but it's hard to believe these guys would persist to try to do this stuff rather than just saving themselves so yeah it's uh interesting lessons because you can you you can draw those conclusions that if if They chased them out of the house uh, at gunpoint and they were trying to get away and they were shot while they were trying to run away. That's very different than if it's still an ongoing threat, if they didn't leave immediately, if they were, in a sense, terrorizing the the wife of the homeowner and the other sibling in the vehicle by jumping on the hood. I, I don't know what all of that meant, except it sounds more like in this instance, it was one continuous event that was just wild and, and crazy.
0: Yeah. Steve, uh, Don mentioned the elements of time and distance as uh, being able to create two distinct different uh, legal contexts to look at a case like this. From a tactical perspective, what does time and distance mean to uh, armed defender
2: well a time and distance means basically you have more options you have an additional period of time to uh, analyze what is actually taking place and uh, choosing the you know the the correct action to take and uh, in this particular instance I, I can kind of understand uh, the dilemma that this young man had w- was in. Uh, one of the things his mother and his sister hanging around, uh, you know, if we're going to come back here and Thursday morning quarterback that or Thursday afternoon quarterback that, it would have been a lot better had they just gone ahead and left right then so that uh, they could have, you know, called the police from another location. That way he didn't have his errors of responsibility split. I can see that... If I, you know, went in there and I chose his action and those people started to leave and I'm like going, oh my gosh, my mother and my sister are out there, that then I would feel very much compelled to go out there and defend them also. And uh, it was just like Don said, it was kind of, it is a very wild scene. Uh, as I tried to piece this thing together and make it make sense to me, I just kind of gave up at some point for some of the reasons that Don mentioned. It's like, okay, they had time, though, to go get into a van and drive off, you know? So I'm just like going, how did all of this take place? And I, 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 just, I just have no idea. But regardless of the circumstances, any time that you have uh, time on your side, distance on your side, barriers on your side... You're just in a much better position to see what's going on, analyze it correctly, and maybe take an action that does not require physical contact between you and the other persons.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tatiana, when you marked this case as something that you'd like to talk to us about, what what did you see was the, the takeaway or the big lesson to learn here?
1: This is one of those cases where, I think a lot of new individuals coming into the world of concealed carry could very easily relate to the sun and could see themselves acting as the sun chose to act. And, again, we're grateful that no one was mortally wounded here. We have discussed the potential hazards in the way this played out and how, how much is missing from this story is also something that is a big takeaway in that there are so many more moving pieces to a deadly force encounter where your life or the life of your loved ones is being threatened, then it's not a linear experience. There's a lot of moving parts. And as we bear witness in discovering this story, there's a lot of information we wish we had so that we could make better judgments, armchair quarterbacking our way through this. So if you are that son, if you put yourself in his shoes and walk through this story from what we know about it, Where do you wish you'd had more information to make good decisions? And what would you have done differently or in preparation for the inevitable? Would you have cut those shrubbery back in front of the house? Their part of the report was that the panic alarm wasn't working or was malfunctioning in the efforts of the daughters to engage it and the father who was being told to disengage it. What does your home safety plan look like? How have you communicated with your family members? This case is great to drop yourself into and then to consider, is your family ready for something like this to happen? And if not, what should you do to prepare?
0: Well, that's a terrific reason Uh, to look at a case like this. So thanks again for bringing it to us. And Tatiana, thanks as always for joining us on the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, guys, that's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening through to the end. I'm working on some new content for you, me and Don West. We're going to pretty soon talk in depth about a self-defense case, a crazy case that we worked on together with a colleague of ours uh, in Florida. Until then, be smart, stay safe, and take care.